Welcome to Influence Me, a series of podcasts where the prime focus is leadership. I'm Assistant Commissioner Andrew Short, and I'm going to be hosting a series of podcasts where I get to interview a variety of guests, both internal and external to QFES. The topic is something extremely important to us, and one that is central to the success of QFES. I want to talk with these guests about leadership, and I want to learn more about leadership from the thoughts and experiences of others. I want to be influenced. It's a pleasure today to be joined by James Haig. James joined QFES in 2015 as the organisation's inaugural head of its Office of Bushfire Mitigation. This followed many years as a land manager in areas from Bass Strait to Cape York, including practical experience as a park ranger and forest manager in a wide range of roles involving extensive work with a variety of industries such as forestry, grazing, tourism, fisheries and mining and resources. James also served for a number of years on a private sector board as a director. Since joining QFES, James has managed bushfire mitigation for the state with a particular emphasis on building partnerships and coordinating mitigation efforts. James has also spent time as a regional manager in several regions to maintain practical skills and on the ground knowledge. In 2017, James deployed to Canada as part of the Australian team sent to assist with the British Columbian wildfires. He operated as a situation officer and led operations in the State Operations Centre during significant parts of the Queensland bushfires in late 2018, as well as during cyclones in the Townsville and Gulf Country floods. James is also the QFES representative on the Australasian Foreign Emergency Services Authorities Council, otherwise known as AFAC, a rural land management group. During the current bushfire season, James has regularly been the QFES operations state coordinator and often appears in the media. And you're right, I've heard you many times this season, James, and I've got to say, there are people who do media well and there are people who struggle to do media. It's such a nice thing to be able to say that, gee, I love your media, the way you approach it. Do you, do you enjoy it? I really enjoy media. I think it's one of the key things in having influences to get out there and, and be proactive, and it, it really doesn't worry me to do it. And it appears that as we go along this road, we're going to be doing more media, given that we know that you know, connection to the community through information and briefing is one of the ways that we can actually engage our communities. Would you agree to that? I totally agree with that. The other thing is that the lessons that we learn from overseas and in, within Australia suggest informing the public is one of the best ways we can keep them safe. Exactly. Now, today we're going to have a talk about leadership. Uh, you're aware that the actual title of the podcast is Influence Me, so hence the focus on influence. I know that you're a big believer in influence as a leadership competency. Why is that play so strong for you? I think that I have a small team and it's relatively difficult to achieve by control but you can achieve an awful lot more by influencing our partners. We have many and we need them on board. So how did that come to be? When did that light bulb moment come for you that you saw influence as being such an integral way of doing business? I think probably before I came to QFES, I had that view. I looked at uh, I looked at a number of industries that I worked with within the uh, Marine Park area, Great Barrier Reef Marine Park, and thought, well, I can try and be regulatory or I can try and work uh, effectively and influence them to, to do comply with the sort of things I'd like them to do. And most of them were really on board with it. Do you find that within the emergency services context that the use of influence is still developing or being understood? Is that something that you see that we've got some work to do? I think 
Yeah, I do think we've got a little bit of work to do. I, I understand that we do operate in a command and control environment at times, and we certainly need to, to do that. However, quite a lot of the time we're not in that space and we need to do that better. That's just a learning uh, for QFAS that moves forward and for uh, emergency services in general. Now, to that end, have there been people in your life, particularly when you were younger, a younger leader, who started to open your eyes about influence as a means to an end? Oh, definitely, definitely some of the people that I've had as mentors, as senior leaders and people that I look up to and admire and I saw the influence that they had worldwide with very little control. For example, David Attenborough has huge influence in influencing the debate about the environment and yet he doesn't control hardly any of the regulatory authorities. It's certainly interesting to watch a young leader when they have their light bulb moment and see that they can affect things without having to default to formal authority. I personally get a real kick seeing some of these younger leaders start to realise that to achieve their end, the use or the strategic use of influence can be such a, uh, a powerful tool. So what, what do you do with the people around you? And not just in your immediate team, yet you're part of a big organisation. How do you approach trying to let leaders who are developing understand that notion that uh, influence skills are really important? I think it's really important to, to actually let them see how you work. So talking is one thing, explaining how something might be is one thing, but actually seeing, uh, seeing myself, if they're a direct report to me, say, seeing how I might work with a partner, seeing how that, that actually happens. And really you want to see them see see them having the difference between perhaps building a partnership and building a relationship versus just having a consultation. Yeah, which is how it can play out if you're not really considerate about that. I do see sometimes leaders, when they bring things to you where I'm pretty sure they want to see you just make a decision. When you don't necessarily do that because you see there's a, a broader game or a broader set of objectives that we've got here and that we just make a hard and fast decision using authority or power that we may compromise our broader set of objectives. Sometimes they get quite disappointed because they, they see, they, I've seen this, that, that leaders, young leaders sometimes think, well, you've got the power. You've got the power. You, you can make this happen. And oh, I've got a view that even someone at a commissioner level or a CEO level, uh, yeah, they've got a, a limited amount of power that they can use and therefore uh, they're forced to become good at uh, influence. Well, have you got some thoughts around this? Uh, very much so. I think that, that just because you can do something doesn't mean you should, that we only have a certain amount of social capital, if you like, or, or capital with our partners. And if you exercise it all the time, you will go fall back into that control mode a lot better if you can exercise it when you need it. You don't, you know, the the fact that uh, that you can do something doesn't mean you should do something, and you yeah. don't have to make a decision right there and then. I love that expression. I really do. It's it's something that's being used more often in our organisation and probably across our sector. I want to talk about difficult moments when it's either you know difficult moment, difficult conversation. Maybe there's some conflict happening behind the scenes or you know, on on the front line of operations. How can influence play a role there? I think for a start, influence has a has a role, and and particular building relationships with your partners and the people that you work with, you build trust, and from that you have less conflict. 
than you would otherwise. So a conflict, to me, wastes a lot of energy and time. You can minimise it by having a decent relationship with the people you work with, particularly your partners. But beyond that, then when you do, if you have done that, you have built the trust, then you should be able to move forward without having conflict to uh, as, as robust a conflict as you might. Probably the last thing is if you've, if you've defined it, um, if you know where your partners are coming from, you've got much more chance of actually finding a solution that, that might be the, the archetypal win-win. It's an expression that's used pretty commonly, the win, looking for the win-win. And I've seen people be quite cynical about that notion. I believe in it. I believe that if you work hard enough and you're willing to uh, listen and negotiate and you know, compromise if needed, then you can get to that win-win uh, solution. But certainly I'll, I'll, I'll say it, it's not necessarily a norm behaviour uh, in our sector being you know, foreign emergency. Um, any other views on other things we could do different or better in terms of dealing with the difficult stuff? The more we understand our partners and the more we understand the stakeholders and the public, the more likely we are to find uh, innovative solutions. I think it's really important to know, to know uh, what our partners' interests are and to know what ours are. You really, I really like to be prepared and know where my negotiating position might be. And then you can find those, even if it's not a win-win, it doesn't, uh, doesn't inalterably uh, compromise the relationship going forward. So what, what's the expression, uh, walk, walk in someone else's shoes? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I can remember, um, as an example, I can remember when I was learning about the trawler industry, I spent a few nights on a trawler uh, in a marine environment, and that was really useful for having cred and understanding what I, where I was coming from when I had to do some difficult things with them. Self-awareness is something that I'm continue, I continue to explore in terms of the things that we need our leaders to be able to do. And using that example of where you've got yourself involved in a, a tricky situation where maybe there's a uh, impasse between us and one of our partners or there's conflict or whatever. What role does self-awareness play for a leader in that context? I think uh, self-awareness is critical. There's a Buddhist aphorism that goes, the hardest thing to see in the world is yourself. And when something is, is when there's a bit of tension and conflict, it's really important that you just step back, have a little bit of a look. If you're starting to feel uh, strong reaction to something, be aware of that and think, why am I feeling this? And maybe before you get to that situation, think, okay, so where's my key and what what do I not want to do? I don't want to get annoyed. I want to keep positive. So how am I going to do that? And where might I need to just pause if something comes through before I answer? Well, I'm going to match you with a quote, given that you've, you've given me a reference. And the one I'm going to reference is the Benjamin Franklin quote, where he spoke about how the, the three... Uh, hardest things, uh, diamond, steel, and, and someone known themselves. I reckon that's bang on the money. And one thing about it that helps me is that uh, I also have seen another quote somewhere, and I can't remember who it was, to be honest, which basically said that we, we judge ourselves by what our intent was, but we judge others by what their actions were. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Yeah, uh, expression. And, and it's something that I, I have to check myself every day. And that reminds me, it's one of the things that I find myself, look, I'm an active uh, mentor of a, a small number of people and that cycle continues for me. I enjoy doing it. And getting people away from the notion that they have to be this perfect leader or person that never makes a mistake or never regrets 
having treated someone a certain way or whatever. This notion that you reach this goal where you don't have the, you don't worry about the same things anymore. I try to offer these people that, um, you know, regardless where you are with your leadership journey, you're still someone who's going to make a mistake and you're still someone who should be reflecting on what went right, what went wrong. And, and I, I offer that self-awareness is a, such an important tool for discovering and reviewing your own part of something. It's easy to point your finger to someone else. It's very much harder to take your own bit of responsibility with it. If I was to ask you, what would be some of the advice that James Haig would give to a younger version of himself? One of the things, probably when I was younger, I was probably a bit more risk averse. These days, I, I, uh, I like the Douglas Adams view of the world, you know, have peril sensitive glasses. The more, they, the more trouble you're in, the darker they go, just keep moving forward and find a way through somehow. But reflect back as well. Look back and say, okay, so what could I have done better that time? After all, you only ever do your best once every other time you're trying to get there. So there's always something to learn, regardless of whether you, 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 know, you, did the, you got the result you wanted or not, there's always something to learn. Exactly. Now, what I'm going to do now um, to, to close this out, I mentioned to you earlier, James, that I do offer five questions to every person that I interview through this podcast. And the first question, and it's not designed to be, no need for a long answer, just the first thing that comes in your mind. Most of them are notionally relate to leadership or uh, communication within leadership, which I find is, uh, which I believe is very important. The first question uh, that I'm going to ask you is, what do you wish you really understood? I really wish I understood people better. I, I work hard at it. I try and I think I'm okay at it, but I reckon there's such a such an important thing. I always wish I, I knew a little bit more about people and understood exactly where they come from. I try, but I don't reckon I've got it right. Yeah, you, you, you and me too, James. The second question is, uh, what do you wish that other people understood about you? I'm not sure. I, I, I'm a pretty out there sort of person. I, I kind of put myself out. I don't mind. Um, I, I'd certainly wish people would understand I don't mind being wrong. I do not mind being wrong at all. And that's a really good uh, place for a leader to be. Uh, third question, uh, what's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you? I think one of the weirdest questions anybody ever asked was uh, in a regulatory environment, someone asked me, How, what permits do I need to, to moor a fiberglass whalehead in the Great Barrier Reef? And I kind of stepped back and went, <laughs> I, I tried not to react, just what, what are you on about? But that was a weird question. And, and was it melted in the end? Or was it just a, one of those ideas that... Initially I said, you've got to be joking, who is this? And then the reaction was, oh no, actually it's serious. It was for a film series called Ocean Girl and it all worked and it was all mechanical and it all kind of happened. But it did show me that don't, don't just leap to a conclusion that someone's having you on just because it sounds weird. Because it may not be. That's right. Exactly. Question four, what type of leader do you prefer? I prefer a leader that empowers people, enables people, and perhaps that doesn't have to, um, that, that, that exercise any sort of authority or really only speaks when they need to. And, and really, I prefer someone that sort of can get their enjoyment vicariously from seeing the success of their team. Exactly. Yeah, wonderful answer. And finally, question five is, how do you prefer to deliver bad news? In person? By text message? Which apparently is a very common way that younger generation will do, or by carry pigeon? Uh, you've got to do it by per in person. I have had to previously talk to someone whose career was uh, about to be 
ended and it was a very sad event, but you always do it in person. You always do it in face-to-face. -face. Never, never do it by text, never do it by email, never do it by anything else. And even preferred not to do any sort of bad news over the phone. It's a lot better if you can do it face-to-face. -face. Just a supplementary question. Now you've, you've answered it like that. Any advice to uh, developing leaders on what steps they can do to prepare for that moment? I think probably the, the advice is, my advice is to keep it real and don't think that you have to be strong or anything and, and, and be spontaneous with the person, be real. Know what you've got to say and you can't change it. Rec recognise that sometimes we, can, we can't make things better, they're going to be bad. We can only make them the least bad they can be. So keep that in your mind, don't beat yourself up about it. Wonderful. Now that brings us to the end. James, I have watched and admired your career over a long time that you've been with us now and I look forward to uh, you know, us working together in different ways looking ahead. I think we've got some similar leadership philosophies and, and believe in certain principles. I just th I thank you for uh, taking time out of your day to have this chat with me. Thanks for the opportunity and uh, thanks to anybody who wants to listen. <laughs>